Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to our latest sermon, a sermon about being a living sacrifice, or in other words, a sermon about living the Christian life. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to give you some exciting news. Our church is back to gathering in Wilsonville on Sundays. For about five months, we were using a church building in Oregon City for our services. Thank you, Hope International, for your generosity and hospitality. While it was a good place for us, we've really missed meeting in the city where our church has its home base and where most of our people are, and we are incredibly glad to be back. For the next few months, we'll be meeting at Meridian Creek Middle School. If you live in our area, we would love for you to join us. We will do our best to make sure it is a safe and impactful gathering. And whether you live near us or not, we hope that you'll join us in thanking God for his continuous provision throughout the last year. He has given us a place to record or meet for services every single week, and we are so grateful for that. Again, thank you for taking some time to listen to this sermon. I hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Here's one of the things that I've been amazed about in this last year. I think I'm going to make just all of you just this. I'll just start with just Chad's wrong. But I have been amazed at how sure everybody is about everything. Like I'm, I'm really amazed at how much smarter you all are than me because I, you know, there's been a lot of complex issues and everybody I read on Facebook knows exactly how everything should go all the time. And, and that's been pretty amazing to me, you know, a guy that doesn't know much about anything save maybe uh, a little bit of expertise when it comes to the Bible and, and hopefully some when it comes to pastoring. But Everybody's been sure about everything. Now, don't get me wrong, I have, uh, I have opinions and um, ideas, and I'm actually uh, behind closed doors when none of you are listening. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty political, uh, I have political views and ideas and, and all of those things. But everybody's been so sure about, especially, here's one of the things, about how our government should respond to everything it feels like. And, and today... Uh, as we look at the passage of scripture we're going to look at, I think as Christians that that what we do with our response to government is very important, and you'll see that here. And and, and that's another thing. So everybody's been like, hey, we should, we should be doing it exactly this way. But then also at the same time, everybody seems so clear on how we should respond to government. You know, like, uh, you know, outside of Christian circles, it's it's to just often lambast people and just, you know, use swear words in front of their names and all of those things. Uh, for some, it's burn down the city, you know, and uh, go from there. For others, it's it's just blindly accept whatever our government says and, and uh, do whatever they want and, and follow without even questioning. And, and I'm all in, especially, or I guess only, if they're in my party, right? If they're in my party, then whatever they say is absolutely right. And, and, and for me, anyway, it's I think it's a little more more complex than that. I think that, that what we'll see today, I hope, this is kind of my hope in this sermon, is, is as we look at thir- Romans 13, 1 through 7 together, you'll begin to ask the question, here it is, ready? Like, what does it mean to be obedient to God? What is God calling me to do? And, and both in my decisions as it pertains to government and not, but also within that, combined together with that, what is it for me to, big word here, submit or be subject to government while being obedient to God. 
And that's become so black and white for so many people. And maybe I don't want to make it more gray for you today. That's not the goal of the sermon. Um, But maybe I'm just going to help you think about what really God would want you to do in response to, you know, government and, and all of these things. Instead of just what do I feel like I want to do and what is kind of the party line. That's, I guess, my goal for this, this sermon today. And, and I would say up front that it's all within the context, which is kind of, this is kind of crazy to me, of being a living sacrifice. And so uh, Chuck and Matt preached the first two sermons in this series, and, and they were broad, kind of, right? Like, uh, be a living sacrifice, so you give your entire being to God, and, and, and a big part of that is love and serving others, loving people when it's hard, all of these things. But now Paul turns a corner, as you turn the chapter from Romans 12 to 13, and he gets really specific. And he's going to, like the first specific relationship, if you don't count enemies, is, is how our, our, we respond to our government. And, and that's really interesting to me. And, it, and, you know, I wish it would have been during the week Matt or Chuck was preaching. But, uh, but again, here I am. And, and so, so, so we dive into Romans 13, 1 through 7, not in a vacuum, but within the context of being a living sacrifice. Somebody who has given and is trying to live their entire life for Jesus. And here, I'm going to read it all, Romans 13, 1 through 7, and then I'm going to backtrack and bring out some of the important points and tell you where I think this has been difficult for us in the last year. So here's what it says, Romans 13, 1 through 7. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for nothing. They are God's servants, agents of wrath that bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, on first reading, like, some of that stuff probably is just going to rub you wrong, right? Like, that's, given our culture and, and what we're experiencing and, you know, whether you think about the last four years and trying to live that out or the next four years and trying to live that out, I don't know where you fall, but, like, just reading it, you're like, oh, good night. Like, what am I supposed to do with this. And I think the plain meaning is really simple, and I want to point out some of that plain meaning to you. But maybe in our society, and I'll come back to this, application of it can be, can be a little difficult. Uh, and we'll talk about that later. But first, let me point out this. I mean, be subject to governing authorities. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And then he goes on to say, submit to the authorities. The Greek word for subject is hupotasso, which is often translated most often in the New Testament as submit. Uh, it's a word that means to put under, and it's really in a lot of ways a term of respect. Uh, in marriages, the 
wife is supposed to submit to the husband, but also we're told the husband should submit himself in some ways to the wife. Within church, we're supposed to submit to one another. Uh, People are supposed to submit to their Christian leaders. Now, this doesn't mean, let me just point this out, blind obedience. And I think that's really important. Just as you would not, you know, try to force blind obedience to the person sitting next to you in church uh, on one another, we also shouldn't read that into our passage today. However, I would say in 1 Peter 3, wives are told to submit to their husbands there. And, and Peter goes on to explain that or to illustrate that. And he illustrates it with the story of a woman from the Old Testament named Sarah. And he says, like Sarah who obeyed Abraham. Submission is not obedience, but obedience is oftentimes a, a byproduct of submission. They often go together. Now here's just, just first, let's get it out of the way. I, I think it's really clear. I think most scholars would agree with me. This just pretty much absolutely means that 99% of the time you should obey the laws of your land. I mean, we should not be as Christians running around, you know, trying to do whatever we want, not worried about, uh, you know, what the government's going to do, because you might get in trouble, Paul says that, but also as a matter of conscience. Like we, as Christians, no matter what happens around us, no matter whether anarchy seems to be rising or whatever it might be, we as Christians should, 99% of the time it seems, just obey the laws of the land. Like the example at the end, pay your taxes. Just just pay your taxes. Whether you like the, where the tax money is going or not, you just you just pay your taxes. Now, to, when I was in a class one time. I told this story when I preached on this sermon or this passage four years ago, and I'm going to tell it again because it's it was convicting and weird, and I probably should take it more seriously. But I was in this class, and it was a preaching class, and we were talking about uh, how much how much sin like is you know revealable when you preach, like when you've crossed the line, and now you're just confessing to get it out of your system or whatever. Like, where's the line there? And, and uh, this, this kid, who I don't remember at all, and I remember a lot of the guys in that class. I don't know who it was. Couldn't tell you what it looked like, anything. But I remember what he said. He's like, yeah. He's like, sometimes I like drive over the speed limit. And, and the professor, who's one of the most godly great men I know, and I look at each other like, oh, we're going to hell. Like, I mean, if that's, if that's this kid's line right here, like me and you are not doing so good right now. But I do think the kid was onto something. I drove the speed limit for a lot of years after that. Um, I, I don't know if I've gone back hill, if I've backslidden or whatever, but I, I did go the speed limit for a lot of years. But, but pretty much most of the time when it comes to things like going the speed limit and not graffitiing and not stealing and not committing murder, it is good and it is Christian-like to obey the laws of the land. Now there's this other thing. The reason that it's a matter of conscience is because God gives us governments. There is no authority except that which God has established. The last time I preached on this was the, the, right before the 2016 election, and I'll just let you in on a little secret. <clears throat> I preached that series because I thought Hillary Clinton was going to be the president, and I thought it was important to tell my Christians, who, who, my fellow Christians who usually lean right, uh, some things about what the Bible said about having the, a person in office that we a lot of people, disagreed with on a lot of things. And so I preached this passage, and, and I said, God picks our president, not you. So whatever happens here, don't worry about it. 
Uh, Trump was uh, elected, uh, and you know that probably changed my target audience in many ways for that sermon series. But I believe in those things, and I do believe still to this day that God is in charge of of exactly who is elected. And there's a lot of nuances there, you know, like. The question that I dealt with a lot in my last sermon that you can go back and listen to is like, what about Hitler? But what what, what about when you don't like the person? Uh, and and I don't want to answer those questions today, but I do want to say that there is another theory out there. Instead of God picking our president, the other theory, it's an old theory. People have subscribed to this. It doesn't seem to be the modern day scholar's way of seeing this passage. But some would say that God doesn't pick our president. God is just the person who puts a president in charge. That God creates the governments and not the governors, if you will. Now that's an all right theory, but it's not one I hold to. But that does give you an out when it comes to bad leaders, right? But it doesn't change what Paul's already said, what I already said. And that is that no matter who is in charge, we are to be subject or in submission to those in authority. Because whether he picked the president or he picked the office of president to do the role that it's supposed to do in our country, God is the one who gives us the authority. And so therefore, it is good for us to be obedient when we can, and we'll come back to that. Now, if you think like, well, God couldn't have picked this president, or God couldn't have picked the last president, uh, well, there's this weird theme that emerges in scripture. Most often when we see that God is in charge of the person elected or put into power, they are often really evil men that God is using for his purposes. You would think like most of the time in the New Te- or in the Bible, excuse me, in the Bible would be stories like David. There's one that God picked very specifically. If you don't know the story of David, I mean, God is unhappy with the king of Israel. He was unhappy to have a king. He wanted to be their king of kings and lord of lords, but he was unhappy with how Saul, the king, was acting. I told the story a couple weeks ago, and so he he sent the prophet of the land to go to a family, and and he went to the family, and and quite literally, he said, none of these brothers you see are them. They bring in David from the fields, and he's like, this is the guy that's the next king, and then David was anointed king. But it seems like more often in the Bible, it's people like Pharaoh that God put into power, who enslaved the Israelites, God's people. God raised up Nebuchadnezzar, who history tells us was an incredibly violent man. God raised up Cyrus, in fact, it refers to him as God's shepherd in one place in the Bible, who was a pagan king that God used for his purposes. And then Jesus says to Pilate, who is in charge of whether he lives or dies right before his crucifixion, he says to Pilate, you don't have any power or authority apart from what comes down from heaven. You've been given this authority by my father. Proverbs 8, 15 and 16 says, by me, this is God, by me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles, all who rule on earth. And then we see this thing in Daniel 2, 20 through 21. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and season, seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. Isn't that interesting? Now, there are a couple of times, at least one time in the, in the Old Testament where, where, where the, the, kings of the, or the king of the Israel, God's like, this isn't my guy. Like, this is, I'm not good with this. Like, this isn't the guy I want in charge here. And so even this, right, like if you walked in and you said, I am absolutely sure that God picks our presidents, you better say every one, by the way, and not just the one you like. But also, if you were to come in and say, I know that God doesn't pick our president, he only picks, you know, the, the governing powers or whatever, 
would say that would be a hard thing to be sure on, given kind of the scope of Scripture. But we do know that the powers to be are in place because of God, and therefore we should be in submission to them. We should lower ourselves underneath them. We should be respectful of them. We should pay them honor, as we'll talk about in a second. Now, here's, here's what's interesting in the Bible. If you're just to read through the Bible and kind of follow the line of, of, of uh, government in whatever way that looks, usually it's authoritative figures, um, they have a job to do, and it's, it's, I would say, a fourfold job in the Bible. And here they are, ready? And you're going to go, wait a minute, that doesn't happen sometimes. And that's true. Um, that's true because God's working through people. But here's what our government should be doing. And maybe this will influence your voting someday. I don't know. That's up to you. But like, this is the job of government in scripture. First, commend good. Our government should be pushing people to do that which is good. To maintain peace. It's number two. Government exists in order to maintain peace. Number three, to punish evil. Our government should be punishing evil. That's a big reason that it exists. In fact, to hold back evil on an evil planet, God has given us a couple of things. Family and government are two of the biggest. It is the family's job to help children to, to not just do evil, to not do unfettered evil, and it's the government's job to help us as, as a society to not do evil uh, without repercussion. And finally, to protect the oppressed. To protect the oppressed. We know, even in our society, that it's not supposed to be like a caste system, right? That there are people who just have more power and authority and resources, and there are people who don't. And it is the government's job to make sure that those who don't have are protected. To commend good, to maintain peace, to punish evil, and to protect the oppressed. Now I know here you're like, well, they're not doing it, right? I mean, that's, I mean, like they did do a terrible job at this. Like, what's going on? Have you been to Portland? You know, I mean, like, I mean, this we say this this isn't happening the way it should be happening, and that is true. But you have to remember a couple of things. First, God is working through fallen, struggling human beings, and I. You may hate all of our government leaders, but I can promise you that I would do a terrible job too. You know, like, I mean, if I'm aiming at these four things, I still would fail at making all of these things happen on the level that we as humans want them to happen. And I would point your attention to this great thing, this incredible thing, and that is heaven. If you're a Christian, then this is not your true home. We are citizens of another place called heaven where God sits on his throne and he rules perfectly in a way that no man can ever rule. This is not meant to be our final place. It will never be a perfect place. And sometimes what we want from our government is for them to turn our nation into heaven, but they can't do that. Only heaven is heaven. And while we live here, it will be imperfect and we will struggle and there will be people who do good and are never noticed for it and there will be a lack of peace and, and lots of bad things will go unpunished and continue to happen even when punishment is there and the oppressed will always be with us. They will always be with us no matter what our policies are. It's always gonna be that way. These are imperfect people but also you gotta remember that God's given us the hope of heaven. He's never said that our earth will be perfect. We can work to improve it. I think we should vote for people that, that work towards these four things, but it will never be perfect. Now, here's what some people would do. 
Some people would limit the scope of submitting to government to governments that are actually living out these four things. And I would really like that. I would like to say I'm only going to be in, you know, I'm only going to be subject to those who do a good job of, you know, following the godly principles. The problem with this is a man named Nero, who was in power when this was written. Uh, Nero was very bad. He was the ruler. He was the Roman emperor. He was really bad, like, like bad, like so bad. Let me give you a couple of examples. He had his mom stabbed to death because of treachery. I don't think any of our government leaders have done that, but that's what Nero did. And then it, it keeps getting worse. It just grows in terribleness. Uh, he had his uh, wife beheaded for adultery and then had her head displayed to his mistress. And then later, when he got mad at that mistress, he, he kicked her to death while she was pregnant. I mean, this is what history tells us. This isn't like in the Bible. This is what history tells us. Uh, and then he had this giant fire started, which as far as history can tell, he just did for like fun, entertainment in Rome. He just started this giant fire. Uh, it's like legend that he played the harp. You've maybe heard this while, while, while Rome was burning for that phrase. He just like had the harp played or he played the harp himself. And then, you know, it wasn't good for um, making political friends and all that when you burn down the city. And so, so then he blamed the Christians and out of that turned into, you know, one of the greatest persecutions in Christian history. Nero Nero killed Christians. Um, he, he, he would use them to light his gardens. He would, I don't know how this worked, but he would kind of put wax around them, turn them into candles, and then light them. And this may have been so that they burned longer or something. Uh, and then he would, he would dress them in animal carcasses, and, and then he would sick dogs out to just fight them in his gardens, like for entertainment. And this is one bad, evil human and, and then Paul's writing this letter to the group in Romans who are going to be suffering this persecution. And by the way, Nero probably killed Paul, who writes this letter, right, by the inspiration of God. And, and, and Paul says, hey, be subject to your governing authorities. Not be obedient blindly. We'll come back to that again. But be subject to the governing authorities. Lower yourself underneath them. That's so crazy to me. And he's serious about it. I mean, God is serious as he, as he gives us this part of Romans. He is serious about it. Notice, like, it'll prevent us from being punished. We get that, right? Like, I mean, I was just talking to somebody the other day, and we were talking about how the fear of punishment was a great deterrence for us when we were young people and doing some of the things that we would have done. And, and so we all understand that. We punish our children so that they'll, in some ways, fear that punishment and, and then avoid doing the things that we know they shouldn't do. So that's one reason. But second, Paul says, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I mean, like, judgment. Like, you want to avoid that, and so we should be subject to our government. And then third is a matter of conscience. If God calls us to do something, then we should do it. That's the reason that we subject ourselves to to our government, to the leaders in power in our nation is not because we like them or because they're doing a great job, but because, because it's a matter of conscience, it's a matter of doing what God has called us to do. Now, I say that 99% of the time we should probably be obedient. I made that stat up if you were wondering. All stats are made up that get said in sermons, but there is another percentage of time when we should absolutely disobey our government. Uh, 
Let me give you some biblical examples. You've heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den. And what you remember, you know, if you just grew up in the church and, you know, from your kid's version is somehow, some way, Daniel got thrown in the lion's den and God saved him. And we focus on God saving him, which is really the point of the story. However, how Daniel got in the lion's den was blatant defiance of a government edict. He's, he was told that he could not pray to anyone except the king. And he goes into his window and he prays three times a day. It feels very intentional, right? He didn't go into the back room somewhere. He got into his window and he said, I'm going to do exactly what God has called me to do, despite what the authorities in this land have told me to do. You see, the time to disobey is when the government tells you to do something that God has told you not to do, or when the government tells you not to do something that God has told you to do. This happens in the New Testament. The church is brand new. And in Acts 4, 18 through 20, there's, there's the end of this story that's important. It says, then they called them in again. This is the disciples. The disciples are being punished for preaching about Jesus. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As far as us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Acts 5, 27 through 29, they get brought back in because they didn't listen at all. And here's what we read. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must obey God rather than human beings. We must submit to authority and obey God. Both of these things need to be held in tandem together. We can't throw out one and hold on to the other. They go together. They have to both be present in our lives. We're in submission to the government authorities because that's part of being obedient to God. But when it comes to a clash, do I obey my governor? Do I obey my mayor? Do I obey my president? Uh, you know, in other countries, do I obey the dictator in my land or do I obey God? The answer is emphatic in scripture. We obey our God and not our governments. Now, I know you're all so sure of everything, but this year has brought on some really difficult issues when it comes to these things, right? Uh, I'm going to try to steer clear of some of the ones that will just tick people off for no reason, but I'll hit on a couple of them. Like, should the church have shut down for any level of time whatsoever to help with the pandemic? And I know, I know in people's heads, it's immediate, right? Like, yes, no, it's just like that. But if we're taking, this is, this is my conviction this morning, if we're taking scripture seriously, then maybe that is a difficult question to answer. Let me, let me tell you why. We are commanded, I think there's a lot of other reasons to gather like we're doing this morning scripturally, but we are commanded to gather like this. We're commanded to do it regularly. We're commanded uh, to do it consistently. We're commanded not to give it up. The church cannot be a church, in fact, without being together. So our government comes along this year and says, you're not going to get together. You can't get together. You can be online. Not being together, but you can be online together. And our church, you know what we did. I mean, we shut down for a little while. We got back together as soon as we could. 
But at the same time, God doesn't say you have to meet every week. You can't take a pause for a pandemic. There's nothing in there that says that. And what kind of blows my mind is people go, yes, no. Like, just like that. And what I think it comes from is no, not no. A lot of times when people say yes, no, they're not actually considering, they're not considering what God has actually called them to do. They're just lining up with their party lines. You know, my president said yes. The person I like says no. I'm going to do what they say. But that's not the call for us. As Christians, we're to ask the question, whether all of society is going one direction or not, we're to ask the question, what is it that God wants from us? And a starting point is, hey, we, I'm going to be obedient to God no matter what. And then we say, well, God did call us to be in submission. And we remember what the government is supposed to do, right? They are supposed to commend good and maintain peace and punish evil and protect the oppressed. And so then you dive in and you have those two things in your mind and you begin to ask the question like, okay, what would God actually have us do in this situation? And I think if it's a hard yes or hard no, then that's then maybe you're not actually, maybe, not 100% sure of this, but maybe you're not actually considering what God would have. I'll tell you, this is hard discussions in our church. I'm proud of our, our church this year, and we may not have done it the way that you wanted us to do it, and some of the times we didn't have any options, right? Like, we were kind of saved from making hard decisions when you don't have a school to meet in, and you got to figure other things out, but, but the whole time, we've really sought the will of God in both ways, we got to do what God wants us to do no matter what. But also we should submit to government when we can and when it's appropriate. Uh, these are hard issues. I mean, let me give you another one. This just came up just, just, just recently in our church. Uh, until last week, we had our chairs all spaced out in accordance with our, you know, the, the order of the state of Oregon, right? We had our chairs and we couldn't do that here. And so we didn't do it here, but, but we had them, you know, so you could sit with your families and be six feet away from everybody else. Man, does that take away? Does it take away from what God has called us to do in church? Like to connect and to be with each other and to sing to one another in order to encourage and uplift each other? It does. And so how long do you let that go on? Let me give you a very specific example. We have somebody who is new in our church young lady who's come by herself. It was scary. It is scary to go to a new church. It's probably scarier to be a young lady uh, that's not even an adult yet to come to a new church by herself. So she came one or two times. She's sitting by herself because we have the chair spaced out and we have a system and we're trying to be submission, in submission to our, our governing authorities. And her third time visiting, Diane, right over there, I'm just going to say her by name. Diane said, do you want to sit with me? This girl was just like, just made such a difference in her life. I mean, this was, this was church. And, and Diane, being out of submission to the government, I'm not going to look at you and be like, wrong. You know, like wrong. Like you should have just obeyed what our government says, right? Because I know in that moment for Diane, because I know her, that she would have been disobeying what God had called her to do. But as a church, these are, this is difficult, right? This is difficult, Masks, I mean, that's another one. Won't go in. He says there's nothing against masks. Masks don't prevent us doing anything in church, but maybe, maybe they do. 
And I'm not, yes or no, we're still wearing masks, right? So you can't be like, oh, anti-mask guy up there on the stage because we clearly have not been that, right? But maybe it's preventing us from living out the calling of God in the way he's called us to live it out. And, and there was a time when it was absolutely right. I can tell you that for this church, it was absolutely right. And there's been times when space in the seating out was absolutely right. But when do those times come to an end? And you can play all of these things out on, I'm just doing it on a corporate level, but, but all of these things need to play out in your own head because we must be asking the question, what does it mean to be obedient to God? And where can I be submissive to government? Where can I be submissive to government? Because there are times when we just can't be. I mean, am I right? Like, is that, like, is it, is that, is it hard? Like, can we just admit, like, some of it's been hard this year versus, like, they all did it wrong and they did it right or they did it right and they, I don't know, it just seems hard. And what makes it even more complicated in our country is, like, we're kind of built on dialogue and discussion and debate, right? Like, nobody was debating Nero, not even his mom, right? Like, I mean, uh, this country is built on on not submitting fully to government and that makes it really difficult. Like one thing that I've seen crash this year into each other and and this is hard and I don't have an answer for you but I'm saying you gotta think through it. Constitution versus local authority. I know people who say, you know what? It's not constitutional. So why would I why would I obey? Because I'm submitting to the actual document and not, you know, what's happened here, what our what this guy that happens to be in power or this woman who happens to be in power says to me. This muddies it up a little bit for me. I know some of you have it all figured out, but me trying to follow and live out the Bible, this this makes it a little more muddy. The Supreme Court versus our states. Still right now in our state, we can't have more than uh, 50 people in a church gather. That is a guideline because there was a Supreme Court case uh, in New Jersey and, and the Supreme Court ruled that a state had no right to limit the amount of people in a church service. And so we are free to have as many people in our church services as we want. And, and we've opened up because of that. But then there's this guidance by our governor. And, and should we be taking that into consideration? That's hard. Even guidance versus laws, right? Even our uh, the Supreme Court versus states, but then you have guidance versus laws and how far in should I go and what should I do? And protesting is an American thing. I mean, we, we say no often in this country. We said no to start this country. No, we will not be taxed unless we are represented, right? No, we're not gonna do what the government told us to do. That is part of feeling like an American is saying at some point I will not do what they Say And in this year, it's been interesting, right? Uh, I don't mean this in any political way, but by some measures, protesting against, protesting despite lack of submission has been encouraged in our state, in our country. It's been encouraged in some ways by our leaders that we are supposed to submit to, to break the law in order to make a point. This muddies it up even more, Right? And I've heard it all year, right? Like, how come you can protest one thing but not another without getting in trouble? And this, this makes it muddy. This is hard. I said my goal was not to gray things, make things more gray than they needed to be, and I hope I'm not. But there are gray, difficult things within this if we are taking these things seriously, that we must be obedient to God. But part of obedience is submitting to our government and obeying when we can. When we can. I mean, how are people so sure? Have you had a moment this year at all like this? 
like all year, government, in some ways wisdom, says don't shake hands with people, right? Have you had any moments where people just stick their hand out to you, and in your head you're going, okay, I'm going to be unloving to this person, a person that might need Jesus, a person that, that I would like to share Jesus with, a person that I'm representing church to. I'm going to either be unloving or submissive to you know, what the government's called me to do and be like, you know, like yell plague and back up, right? I had this moment this year. It was a black man, which frankly made it more complicated for me in the midst of kind of the highest racial divide situation of our, of our nation last year. I didn't particularly feel well. I had a little bit of a sore throat going on and a cough. We were in Oregon City, uh, and this, this black guy sticks his hand out to me. Is that a simple solution there? Is there like, I mean, because I, I, for me, it was not simple. I know that 50% of people would have said, if you shake his hand, then you, have, you may have physically killed him. You are a murderer. But man, there's a huge part of me and probably a lot of you who would say, if you don't stick your hand out, then maybe you're moving him further away from heaven where he will be ultimately healed. Hard questions. I know you all want to know what I did. I shook his hand. Uh, I shook the man's hand and I felt guilty the rest of the day about shaking his hand. So I just walked right down that middle. Um, didn't it seem like all the old people that you were trying to avoid all year, trying to keep close to me all the time? Just a side note, but it's always the old people who are getting this close. I'm like, you're the one I'm saving. Like, back up. <sighs> you need to take this passage seriously. And I think you need to do it in light of, of what Matt taught at the end of his sermon, because at the end of the passage last week, Romans 12, 21. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good don't we just like when we don't like the other side politically we fight back with all the same tools and techniques isn't that what you've witnessed this year i feel like that's what i've witnessed this year just we're gonna fight fire with fire to say it the way i think matt said it last week and then we're not supposed to fight fire with fire we're supposed to fight fire with with obedience to God, obedience in submission and obedience in disobedience to our government authorities, both of those things. That's what Christians are called to do. Now, I want to get down to the nitty-gritty, and one is, is just to do good. Do good, right? Romans 12, 21, as I just read, we should be doing good. We should be following what God has for us as far as good goes. Good is not a relative term. Read the Bible, see what good looks like, and then do it. Uh, right? That, that's part of just, just the way forward in this kind of difficult subject. Uh, but there's other things. I mean, uh, I think first that we need to recognize that, that that, doing good, fighting evil with good is here because like you got Nero, right? I mean, he's the emperor and they're thinking like, how do we overcome this? You know, we'll just get killed if we say anything negative. And, and Paul comes along and says, here's what you do. You do good. You keep doing good. You be fighters for good, 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 good. Not fighting back, not saying why everybody's wrong, not falling in the same traps as everybody else, but good. Romans 13, seven gives us another way. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So pay taxes. That's one we can all agree on, right? Like, I hope. Just pay your taxes. That's part of this deal. But then respect and honor. 
I'll tell you, I preached on this four years ago, and one of the things that I tried to do, I've tried to do over the last four years, it's such a subtle shift, um, but, but I have all, I've tried, I've failed, but I've tried to refer to all of our leaders as with their titles, just I would, like I would do Mr. or Mrs. out of respect, or if I lived in the South, I would. Uh, I've tried to call, I tried to call President Trump, President Trump. I tried to call Governor Brown, Governor Brown. I even tried to call Mayor Knapp, Mayor Knapp. I hardly ever talk about our local government, but uh, in the conversations I had, I tried to do that. It was a simple and subtle reminder for me that it is my job to honor and respect the people that God has put in power. Again, that's hard. Because we live in a political, you know, culture where we debate and we dialogue. And, and you know, I mean, we, for me, it's like, well, if I shut up and everybody else is talking, then, then, like, they win, right? And I would point out that there, maybe that's just a fear. Maybe that's a fear of government that's too big. Maybe that's a lack of trust in God. Maybe that's forgetting that this, this isn't our home and that ultimately we serve a kingdom uh, that is not here and a king that is in heaven and who sits and reigns and rules over all. But part of it is that this is, I mean, how do you honor and still disagree with, right? Because I think we all, I think we all agree that, that it would be, uh, for me, it'd be wrong for me, not with, publicly, I'm apolitical, but behind closed doors, when I'm ministering to people in my congregation and talking to family members, you're darn right, I'm going to talk about when I think the government is getting it wrong. But is there a way to do that that is respectful and honoring at the same time? Maybe. First Peter 2, 13 through 17 says the same thing. So submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honor God the emperor. This passage adds something. It adds that our interaction with government is part of our testimony to the outside world. Whew. Can I tell you something? I think I have time to tell you something. I just think that one of the reasons this year that when we say, you know what, we're going to gather, like we're, gonna, we're no longer going to follow that mandate, we're going to gather because God's called us to. One of the reasons that people just go, yeah, they just hate government or they're mad that, you know, President Biden is in office or whatever. It's because we've done such a poor job of being a witness in the way that we submitted and honored government in the past. A story that stuck with me through the years through um, either the book What's So Amazing About Grace or The Jesus I Never Knew by Philip Yancey. They're very similar books and I can never remember uh, which one it, it, this is from, but uh, this conversation that Philip Yancey had with Bill Clinton. I grew up, you know, this is my first time I can remember voting in my school election, you know, when you would vote. I always voted for Ross Perot just to stick it to the man or whatever. Um, it's American of me not to pick one of the two. Uh, and so uh, some of you are like, who's Ross Perot? But, um, but like, like when I was forming my ideas, like, you know, like about how this all works. I was being taught government in school. Bill Clinton, you know, kind of had a scandal in the midst of all that. And, and this quote, maybe because of that stood with me, he said, I always knew that there would be 
conflict and, and um, controversy in governing. But I never knew that Christians would be so mean. Here we sit a couple of decades later, and that's been the political discourse, right? Like everybody's mean and Christians fall into the same category. We mock the leaders we don't like just like everybody else. And so when it's finally time for us to take a stand, we say, you know what? We're gathering. We're going to be together because God's called us to do that. All the people can hear is the history, right? Like these people don't care. They just don't like the government right now. But what if we were so honoring and so submissive right up until we had to be defiant? Then would people go, wow, I know that they love. And so if they're doing this, it must be important. If they've chosen to take a stand here, then it must be something that their God has called them to do. If they're willing to be punished for this stand, then we know it's important. But instead, we act like, you know, every president we don't like is the antichrist and man when i say that today i mean i i know a lot of people who did that with with president trump <laughs> so uh, it's not just a republican and democrat thing i know people that did that the last four years and i know people who did it the eight years before that i know people well and then we get back in a time when things were a little less tense but so we got to honor and we should man let's start right now we honor president biden and we honor governor brown we honor our new mayor um, in this city. And we are submissive and obedient until we can't be. And there are places where we can't be. And we even in our political dialogue where we say, you know what, I, I don't, I mean, because we have a job here, right? Like I, I think of John the Baptist calling out the leader at the time and saying, he's wrong for being into his brother's sister. I mean, that's not okay. So he was willing to state the truth. And I'm not saying we don't state truth, but what if we did it in a way that was more in line with Romans 13, one through seven. And finally in Titus 3, one, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities. Three times now, you know, if you're keeping track, that's three times we've seen basically the same command to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and always be gentle towards everyone. Is that how you act towards our leaders in government? I've been guilty this year. If this sounds like a Chad's got it figured out, I think I do a better job of this than a lot of people. I'll be honest with you, but this last year has really tested my ability to, to continue to avoid slander when it comes to the people in power. And even what, what if we didn't slander people, but we talked about their policies and how we disagreed with them? What if we could find that balance? And I know people, there are people in this room with me, if you feel like I'm calling all of you out, who have done this very successfully, who are models of this. They're willing to state what they think is good and right and true. They're willing to hold the government accountable to the things that the government should do, and yet, yet are not slandering them every chance that they get, are continuing to be gentle towards them. I said, and finally once, but one more, and finally, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. I think I would want you to remember this, if nothing else today, pray for your leaders in government. I mean, if you do that, because doesn't prayer change our heart towards the people we pray for? Like, if you're remembering to pray for people that you sit by at church, then when you see them at church, you love them more, you care about them more. So pray for those in authority, and I think all of these other things will kind of fall 
underneath it. So what do we do? We, we do good. We love. We pay taxes. We honor. We don't slander. We pray. We be obedient to God first and foremost. And when we can, we are subject to our government. I hope, man, I really hope. I don't <laughs> I want everybody in the world to hear my sermon today, so share it online. But, uh, but for our church, like, you know, we've had people leave our church for this this year, but we're going to keep being that. We're going to shoot for this, and I hope you'll join me in that. And we'll not fall in the same places. We won't. We're going to disagree on how chairs should line up and all of that. But, but man, let's try to be 100% obedient to God, and part of that is submitting to government when we can.